originally is from Decatur, which is a little bitty part of Atlanta. And uh, not one person in my family like has left the city limits of Decatur. And so I don't know, about 10, 15, 15 years ago now, uh, God calls me to ministry and we moved to North Carolina to seminary. Uh, about killed my mom. Right. Because she's never left Decatur. Leaving Decatur is a very scary thing. And so, like, this is a whole other state. Might as well be across the world. Um, but we were up there, and so she kind of made a commitment. Uh, not necessarily that was asked for, but that she did. And she would come up every couple of months. So she would get on this thing called an airplane. And she would fly from Atlanta uh, to Raleigh, which was the nearest airport. And then she would contract with a, a, a airport shuttle, this strange guy that she had never met in a rickety van. And she would get in that van and she would drive up to Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, that you've never heard of. Like it's, it's where you use the restroom and get gas right before you get to Virginia going up 95. Uh, and that's about all it had. It had a, a Walmart and a bunch of gas station restaurant type stuff so that people could stop and fill up on the way. And so she would make that trip over and over and over through our years in seminary. It was an, it, it, the sacrifice of doing that for her. It's hard to comprehend for a lot of us, but the sacrifice of doing that for her was enormous. And it was that sacrifice that expressed her love for us, or it was part of the expression of her love for us. But it was also her love for us that made it not really a sacrifice. So when we look into the text today and we think about the sacrifice of obedience We think about the sacrifice of pursuing holiness. It is the love of Jesus that compels the sacrifice. But it's also the love of Jesus that makes it not a sacrifice. So we're going to be moving towards John chapter 14, the last part, 15 through 31. Uh, But we're in the middle of what's called the farewell discourse. This is where Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples on the earthly side of their experience. The cross is happening this next morning, uh, and so it's his last night with them. And what his goal throughout this discourse is, which the events surrounding it take up a good third of the book over this one night. uh, What he's trying to accomplish with them is, one, to comfort them. Right? I'm leaving. I'm going away. You don't understand what's happening. But there's a, a cross in my very near future. You are about to experience the most horrific tragedy that you've ever experienced. And all the hopes that you had in me temporarily are going to feel like they are lost and that you missed it. So he's preparing them to comfort them throughout what they're about to experience. But more than that, what he's also doing is he's preparing them for life in a hostile world. Without him physically by their side. And so he takes one night, one special time with 11 followers to prepare them for the comfort they're going to need to sustain their faith in the middle of this horror. But also to prepare them for a a life in a hostile world where where he will not be physically standing beside him anymore. And so over the past few weeks, he's talked about their love for each other, being a witness to a to a skeptical world about the reality of Jesus. He's talked to them about the comfort of I'm going away, but I'm preparing a place and I'm coming back and I'm going to bring you to dad's house. That's how this all ends. He's talked to them about I am the way. If you know me, you know it. I am truth. You can stake and found your life on me. The truth I am. Uh, the, the life that you can experience, what is real life, even in a world that is hard and painful and filled with opposition, you can experience what is real life by knowing me. 
And then he closes with, there's this whole set of works that are better than the works that I've done. That I'm leaving for you to accomplish until I come back. And they're better. Why? They're better because they apply the cross that has already happened instead of looking forward to the cross that's about to happen. The gospel is now completed. The work of the gospel is completed. The blood that flows that's required for the payment of sin has been shed. The resurrection has happened. And so we have a better ministry looking back to that and offering that hope to people than Jesus had even in these wonderful, amazing miracles he had looking forward to that cross. And that's what he's prepared us for. And today it's a simple message. He repeats it three times. Our love for Jesus is displayed in our obedience to Jesus. Our genuine love for Jesus will always show up. It will always be seen. How will it be seen? In our obedience to Jesus. He's going to say that three times. And then he's within those three times going to put these two Uh, biggest teachings on the Holy Spirit that we have uh, these next several chapters, but that we have in the in the New Testament, we have most of it or the best of it in this section of John. Because if you're going to live in love for Jesus, that requires the Holy Spirit to awaken a dead heart to to have life in Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit awakens a dead heart to have life in Jesus, he comes and dwells within his people and he empowers the kind of obedience and he empowers the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. And so we have love for Jesus leads to a transformed life of obedience to Jesus. And it requires the Holy Spirit operating and living within his people to make that a reality. That's what we're going to look at today. And so uh, let's read John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while. The world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in the father and that you are in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it's the father who sent me these things. I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he'll bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Do I give it to you? Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. For you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Rise. Let us go from here. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that you would stoke the fires of our love for Jesus. You'd rekindle in us a deep 
white, hot, burning love for Jesus. And it would show up in a greater holiness and a greater obedience and a greater pursuit. God, that our lives would shout our love for Jesus. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Genuine love for Jesus shows up in our obedience to Jesus. Let's look at the first part. Love-driven obedience is helped by the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Love-driven obedience is helped by the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Uh, I would venture to say that most of us in this room have dated at some point in our lives. Now, if you haven't, it's not a rush. So like, this is not a, this is not a, 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 a advertisement that you should date. This is just a, a, an expression of what happens, right? So most of us have had the dating experience where we get really excited. We meet this person. We begin to go on dates with this person. And like this flutter of emotions comes up and we stay up late talking or stay up late hanging out. And it doesn't matter that we get four hours, hours of sleep and have to go to work the next day or go to school the next day because we're, we're in this, this relationship, this fluttery emotion relationship. And there's always, no matter how broke we are, enough money to go to the movies or enough money to go to a concert or enough money to, 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 to go out to eat. Like somehow it just is found or our credit card allows us to do it. And like, so time isn't an issue and money isn't an issue, right? You've been there. And it's not a sacrifice. It's like, this is just what you do. Nobody has to say, you need to probably swipe that credit card so you can go to a concert. They might even tell you not to. But... Nobody has to tell you. Like, it's this joyful overflow of your life. Like, I want to spend time. I want to get to know. I want to, I want to think of special things I can do. And then you get married, and hopefully this isn't true. But you get married, and it takes Valentine's Day to remind you. By the way, you should love your spouse. Like, buy her a card and some flowers, or buy him something. Our relationship to Jesus can get this way. Like, when we meet Jesus... This flood of emotions is part of it. When we meet Jesus, there's this intimacy attached to it. When we meet Jesus, like we're overwhelmed with the fact that I am a sinner who deserves an eternal separation from God. Yet he would love me and not just love me into a slave. He would love me into a child and he'd welcome me into his family and he'd welcome me into his home. And it's like so amazing that it just changes our lives and we're obnoxious about it. Right. Like new believers can be really obnoxious by how much they love Jesus and how much they make sure other people know it. I'm saying that as Facetiously, right? Our love for Jesus is so excited at that moment that, that time with Jesus isn't an issue. And money for Jesus isn't an issue. And obedience to Jesus isn't an issue. And we just start running after him. And then a little time passes and it takes, it takes Easter to remind him, oh yeah, you should love Jesus. It takes Christmas, oh yeah, you should love Jesus. And we have to push for obedience out of believers instead of it being the overflow of their hearts. And I think that's what he's saying here in the middle of this text. It's like this love for Jesus. When you experience it with intimacy, the natural outflow is obedience. Nobody has to tell you it's not a sacrifice. It's the overflow of your heart. And it's only as we distance from Jesus that obedience becomes a challenge and a problem. And so the last verse is closing into this text that we're in today. What, you're going to do greater works than me, Jesus says. And then he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Right. And so prayerful dependence, right? Whatever you ask, I'll do it in my name, meaning I'll give you access to the father in my name, meaning it, it doesn't need to line up with who I am and what I'm up to in the world. But in my name. And then what does he say? I'll do it. I'll accomplish the work. And so you're going to do greater works 
So you better pray like crazy. And you better depend on me like crazy because I'll do a work in you and through you that's greater. But you might take that, not you, but, you know, the liberals. Theologically, not politically, they, you know, they need it. Right. And so you may take that and be like, I can just rub the Jesus genie lamp and Jesus will pop out and give me what I want and do what I want for me and make everything better. And, and we kind of operate spiritually like that's the, the way it works. And so this passage is a balance. If you want to bear fruit. If you want your life to make a difference for the glory of God in the world and the glory of God in your family and the glory of God in your church. Here's how it happens. Prayerful dependence. Ask in my name. I have to do it. Loving obedience. And you cannot separate loving obedience from a life of fruit bearing and just say, well, I'll just kind of pray or I'll just kind of ask or I'll just kind of Jesus pop up and do something. And so here's what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so since this is repeated three times, we'll spend a good chunk of our our time unpacking this this time. And then we'll hit it a few more times in in a bit. So if you love me, it almost seems conditional, right? If you love me, then obey me. And we can take that as a condition. But there's some things we have to remember. John, this very author, says it this way. It's not that you loved God. Like, get it out of your mind that you've got to work up enough love for Jesus to obey him. It's not that you loved him. It's that he first loved you and sent his son. Everything about our love for Jesus is predicated on the love of the father sending the son and rescuing us into his kingdom. It's his salvation. And so when he says, if you love me, what is he saying? If you're saved. If you're converted and the way that your salvation and that you're converted and that your faith treasuring faith, the way that is described is love for Jesus. And I want you to hear that because you are not saved if you simply assent to a couple of facts about Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus raised from the dead. All of that is true. And you know who else believes that really strongly? The demons. Do you treasure? Do you love? Do you believe? Do you embrace Jesus? That's salvation and nothing else. And so that's what I think he's saying. If you love me, meaning if you're saved, if you have a treasuring faith in me that stirs your soul, salvation, you will keep my commands. And when he says that, he's not saying that as a command, keep my commands. He's saying that, excuse the grammar lesson, in the future tense. Meaning... The certain natural outcome of your love for Jesus will be a transformed life of obedience to Jesus. If you love me, you will definitely, as a result, flow into obedience to me. If you love me, the outflow will be obedience. You will be transformed by the nature of loving me. You will obey me by the nature of loving me. They're, they're connected in a way that can't be separated. It's like, Jesus, I love you. Could anybody tell it? By looking at your life and your habits and your priorities. Show me that you love or the the, the way you see love for Jesus is that it shows up in a transformed life. I don't want to make it conditional. It's not conditional. It's relational. If you love Jesus in a way that treasures him and saves you, then you will be transformed into a life of growing obedience, growing to be like him. If you love me, you will Without being able to separate it, the natural outcome will be you'll obey my commands. And so what are the commandments, right? Does this mean, like, if I love Jesus, I will keep all the rules of Jesus? I don't think that's what it means. 
So let's unpack what it means. I would I'm going to start this way and then I've got a few verses I'm going to I'm going to give you from John and from some other places. So in the beginning, there was one command. It wasn't really stated this way, but we'll do it. Glorify God. Right. You were made in the image of God. And then God said, be fruitful and multiply so that the earth was filled with the representations of God, meaning that it was filled with his glory. It was filled with showing the creation what he was like. That was the goal. That was the command. And you blew it and I blew it. But really, Adam and Eve blew it. It's all their fault, not ours. Right. And so we got two commands. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. So there are two commands now. All you got to do is love God and all you got to do is love people. We're set. But if you looked at a Supreme Court ruling a few years ago and you realize the tagline of that is love wins, but it's not the kind of love God defines, you realize the problem. You are a selfish, sinful human being and I'm a selfish, sinful human being. So I have no clue what it means to love God and I have no clue what it means to love other people. And so God gave us these things called the Ten Commandments. One through four, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Five through ten, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we still had no clue how to do it. And we blew it over and over and over and over again. And so those ten laws became hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws. For one purpose. Glorify God. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in case you think I'm crazy, let me give you a few verses. Uh, John 15, same author. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Right. That there's a connection between our obedience and our experience of Jesus. First, John three, twenty three. This is his commandment. All right. If you love me, keep my commandments. Here's his commandment. What's his commandment? Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Love one another just as he's commanded us. So when Jesus boils down what it means to obey, what does he say? Believe me, love me. Treasuring faith in me. Love other people. Love other people the way God defines love. Love other people in a way that expresses God's love. Not not how you want it, not how you define it, but how he does. And then um, Romans 13, 8 and 9. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who is loved has fulfilled the law. And he goes into all these ten commandments. He's like, they're summed up this way. Love one another. So when Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, what is he saying? If you love me, you will live a life of love and glory to me and to God, to the Father, and you will live a life of loving other people. If you love me, love will be the outcome. If you love me, loving people will be the outcome. It will be a life of faith and a life of love. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then look at this. And I will ask the Father. And he will send another helper. Now, that's not connected to your obedience. It's not love me, obey me, I'll send the Holy Spirit. It is if you love me, treasuring faith conversion, obedience will be the outflow. And then go back up to the top again. If you love me, treasuring faith, conversion, salvation. If you love me, the Father will send the Holy Spirit, another helper to you. Both of them are tied into our our covenant love relationship with, with God that has been established through the work of Jesus Christ. And so if we belong to Jesus, if, if we are a true follower of Jesus, we'll love. And if we're a true follower of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit will dwell within us. And so he says, look, I will send you another helper. The word for another means another of the same kind. 
Meaning the Holy Spirit will come and perform many of the functions that Jesus performed in his life for the disciples. The Holy Spirit will come and have many of the same roles that Jesus had in the lives of his disciples. He will be another of the same kind and he'll be a helper. The word for helper is the word that can mean a legal advocate, meaning a lawyer that comes, stands by your side and defends you and fights for you. But it can also mean somebody that comes beside you, stands beside you to make you strong and to encourage you. And so I'm going to send somebody like me to do what I did for you. And he's going to come aside, defend you, and he's going to come beside you and strengthen you. I'm going to send you another helper. The spirit of truth. And so what did Jesus do in the lives of his people? Because I think that that helps us get a glimpse of what the Holy Spirit's up to. Jesus stood beside his disciple and he's like, you bozos. us. Why are you afraid and not believing? He corrected them. He rebuked them. He taught them. He sent them on a mission. He said, here's what the mission is like. And here's how you do it. And here's what I want you to do. Go do that and come back to me. He taught them what is true about God. And he showed them what is true about God. He he um, corrected them when they messed it up. He rebuked them when they really messed it up. And so that is what the function of Jesus was standing beside the disciples. And many of those same functions will now come from this other helper. Dude, you're blowing it again. And he'll lead you into the truth and he'll bring you to repentance and he'll rebuke you when you're wrong and he'll encourage you to stay faithful and he'll empower obedience within you that comes from within, not from this external. And that's why Jesus later in the book of John is going to say, it's better for you that I go away because I can stand on the outside and and teach and fix. But the Holy Spirit's going to have to come on the inside and wash and cleanse and empower And so if you love me, keep my commandments and he'll send another helper. And I have to leave after three years with you. I've got to go. But the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth will be with you forever. It's better that I go because I'm coming inside to live and to make my home with you inside of you to change you. It's better if I go. Because it'll be forever that the helper resides with you. And so there's this Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. The spirit that will affirm the truth of all that I said, the Holy Spirit that will lead you to the truth of the of the book he's going to write that will lead you back to this book over and over again. He's the spirit of truth. And then look at this. The world can't know him. Of course, the world can't know him. They couldn't know Jesus. They couldn't experience Jesus. But you're going to know the Holy Spirit. You're going to experience the Holy Spirit as a part of your Christian experience. Because he's going to come and dwell within you. And so I've got to go to prepare your future dwelling place. So I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come dwell, same word, with you. And so I'll send you the helper, even the spirit of truth. And the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him. He dwells with you. He will be in you. There is no way to separate this. Part of a healthy, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is obedience. Like there's no way around that. But the the. Your obedience is not like, I've got to obey to love Jesus. Here's what obedience is. It's a thermometer stuck in your spiritual mouth to determine the heat of your love for Jesus or the lack of your love for Jesus. 
And that's not meant to spur guilt within you. It's meant to be this warning light in your life to say, come back, humble yourself, come back, repent, return, come back to Jesus because you've lost that first love. And your 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 burning hot love for Jesus is weighing down to this very cool temperature. And if you don't see obedience falling out of your life or if it's very hard to push for obedience in your life, then check your love temperature. Don't check your, your rules again. And return back to that first love because that's what obedience flows out of. Because you work from the finished work of Christ. You don't work for it. And you work as somebody who has the Holy Spirit empowering you. to live with, or It lives within you to empower you. If you love me, keep my commands. And I do want to step back because that's, that's both an experience, right? If you, if you love me, you'll be transformed. But I also want to step back and say, guys, look. There's no such thing as salvation that makes no change in your life. There is no gospel. There is no conversion. There is no salvation that exists in the world. That will get you to a relationship with God that does not change who you are and does not change anything about what you do. Now, yes, we will be changed and then we will spend a lifetime of being changed into the image of God, uh, of Jesus. And then we will die and he'll change us perfectly and finally and forever. Yes. But if it has not changed your appetites and if it has not changed your affections and if it has not changed the fight within your soul. Then please don't trust that it is going to change your eternal destiny. Because the treasuring love for Jesus shows up in obedience to Jesus. His words. If you love me, keep my commandments. The second step, love-driven obedience allows us a greater experience of God. Love-driven obedience allows us a greater experience of God. So I have the privilege of being the dad of three girls, all of which are in middle school and high school. So on rare occasions, attitude is part of the equation of our relationship. I won't go too far on that one, but you know what I mean. So from time to time, attitude and disrespect and like that stuff flares up and it it makes a mess of our household and it exposes all kind of sins in my life. So don't like this isn't Chris is pure and perfect and the kids are. No, man, this is parenting is like it's ugly and like there's blood on the floor. Right. Not real blood, not real. blood. So, no abuse. But it's you know, it's it's tough. And those times, does it change that my, they're my children? Mm-mm. Do I love them until the end of my life? Yes. Nothing is ever going to change that. But when these things happen, the Grand Canyon opens up between us. And there is this coldness and this distance. And there's total lack of connection of relationship between us. That's part of our experience. But then as humility brings in and repentance comes in. On both sides, right? But as repentance comes in and humility and, and, and kind of the rest, restoration of respect and the restoration, of, then the gap closes. And our relationship is restored and we're allowed to, to experience love for each other now. And we're allowed to feel the relationship flowing between us. I think the same thing happens in our relationship to Christ. Like you're, if you are genuinely saved, there is nothing in hell or earth or future or present or past that could ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's based on the cross. It's as strong as the cross. It's as strong as the sovereign hand of Jesus himself. Nothing can change that. But as we begin to drift from love and drift from obedience... And drift from walking intimately and in fellowship with Jesus, 
the Grand Canyon begins to open up between us again. He will love us for eternity, but our experience of the love of the Father will be deeply affected by our drift, by our lack of obedience, by our lack of repentance and humility that returns us back to him. But as we begin to walk in repentance, as we begin to walk in humility, as we begin to follow him again and pursue him again, the gap closes. And we're able to experience the relationship with God that we're meant to have. I believe that's one of the ways that obedience functions within us. Now, look, this is all things being equal. There are times where God will withdraw his presence and his experience to form something in you. Right? There's times he is operating beyond what we know to give us desert seasons. Like, I don't want to like drive to guilt and live in guilt when there's distance from God. Because there's times that God is just forming something in you through distance. Endurance and perseverance and pursuit that, that isn't going to happen if he keeps things easy. And so there's purposeful things in, in the pain. But, but generally there's this correlation between am I walking with God and am I experiencing God? So let's look at it uh, in the text. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. So the first part of what he's saying is I'll just go to the interpretation. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. The number one thing he means by that is I'm going to leave you by the cross and I'm going to return to you by resurrection. And so I'm going to live forever and we're going to be connected forever. I'm not going to leave you and abandon you because the cross kills me. Instead, I'm going to come back by resurrection and you won't be an orphan. We'll be in relationship forever. So that's what he that's what he means by that. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you with a resurrection in a little while. The world won't see me, but you will see me. Why? Because I live. You'll live. Meaning I will experience resurrection life, brand new life, glorified life, and then I will make you alive. I will give you resurrection life so that I live and you live and that's forever. And so it's talking about Jesus, not the Holy Spirit at this point. But John is so masterful. The Holy Spirit through John is so masterful that he weaves layers into his into his text. And so, yes, he's talking about resurrection and you're going to see him again physically. But I think he is also because he bookends it with the Holy Spirit. He's also saying, but you will continue to experience me. I will mediate my presence to you by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So I won't leave you as orphans and you'll continue to experience me because the Holy Spirit will be operating and I will send him. All right. And so I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Because I live, you'll live. And in that day, you'll know that I'm in the Father and that you are in me and I in you. After the resurrection happens, you'll understand what Jesus has been talking about between the Father and him. But you'll also understand the union that you now have with Jesus that was not possible until the cross, until the gospel. And in our lives, until your conversion, until your until your salvation. I'm in the Father. And then whoever has my commandments... The same way he started. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So he just says the same thing as verse 15 in reverse, right? Verse 15, your love for me, conversion, will result in obedience to me. There's a connection. Can't break it up. Then he just reverses it. If you have my commandments and if you keep my commandments, then then you love me. So in the first part, it's the extension of relationship. In the second part, it's it just shows the genuineness of your relationship. If you've got the commands of Jesus and you keep the commands of Jesus, then it just is this big billboard that says, I love Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I'm saved. All right. And so 
And he who loves me, this is the addition that he makes at this point to the command. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. So what is he saying? Your love for me, that flows into obedience, that is your salvation, defines you now as someone who is dearly loved by the father. You are his child and your identity is now loved by God and your identity is now loved by Jesus. And you're part of the love that God has for you. And if you're part of that, what will your experience be? He will manifest himself to you. Jesus will reveal Jesus to you. Jesus will reveal an encounter or an experience to Jesus with you. Because when he says, I will love you and you love me, he doesn't say that as a proposition. Like, okay, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. That's good theology. He doesn't say that as like this principle to uphold. Okay, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. That's a really good principle for life. He says that as a relationship. I love you. And if I love you, you'll experience me. And you love me. And if you love me, you'll experience me. That This is relational language. Right. And so love is not a concept to Jesus. Love is an experience to Jesus built on the truth of the gospel. And so don't think, OK, I love Jesus. That's good mental things to agree to. That's good theology. Don't ever stop there because he's meaning to experience your meaning to experience Jesus in a love relationship that is real. That is flowing, that is intimate, that is personal. And when we lack that for entire lengths of life or big seasons of our life, it should grieve us. And we should know like something is missing because I'm meant to know more of Jesus than I know right now. Something is missing because I'm, I'm meant to live in a deeper intimacy with Jesus than I'm living right now. And it's not okay for me not to ever experience him. Right? If you, if you, if you love me, I'll love you. And again, it's not conditional. Like you got to love me enough for me to experience to experience me. It's like the father has loved you. He's loved you to the cross. He sent the Holy Spirit. He's converted you like he's given you everything. He's done all the work. And then part of that will be an experience with Jesus. And that experience with Jesus is 100 percent the work of Jesus. But it, it is affected by are we following or not following? Are we pursuing or not pursuing? Are we obeying or not obeying? Right. The pendulum just swings so much in our life and our experience where it's like on one end, there's this thing of legalism. And it's like I have to I have to serve God and do religious stuff so that God will approve of me and love me. And the more I obey, the more God loves me. Fault. But then it swings the other way. License or cheap grace. And then it's like grace is so wonderful that I don't really have to worry about obedience. Grace is so wonderful that holiness does not matter. And like, oh, it's just grace. It's cool. You're good. I'm good. Everybody else that walks around and has said the name of Jesus once in their life, they're good too. And it swings all the way to that end. And obedience fall, it gets outdated. Holiness gets outdated, not to God, but to us. But instead, a deeper, richer love for Jesus forms the foundation of a life of pleasing God. A deeper, richer love for Jesus is the foundation for a life of pleasing God. Love, driven obedience allows us a greater experience of God. And then the last step. Love, driven obedience grows our understanding of the truth and our experience of peace. Love, driven obedience grows our understanding of the truth and experience of peace. So he's going to say it again. Right. If you keep my words, um, then we'll come to you. So there's this last question. Judas is not Iscariot asked the question, like, how will you show yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus is going to repeat himself. Right. If you love me, you'll obey me. But then we'll come home and be at home with you. 
So notice this, like Jesus is leaving to prepare a place while at the same time the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are making a place within you. They're dwelling within you, even while they're preparing your future dwelling. Right. So it's talking about that experience and that encounter. But there's two things I want to point out in in the rest of this text, just just for the sake of time. Uh, We've kind of hit obedience and, and, and love together. So the first thing I want you to do is look at the Holy Spirit. He's now explained to us another time. We're given more information about the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he is going to lead you into all truth. And he's going to bring to remembrance all the things that I've said. So what is the function of the Holy Spirit? In the initial apostles, the initial disciples, he's like, I am going to lead you into all truth. I'm going to teach you what my life and what my teachings mean for the church and for the world ahead. And you are going to write this book called the Bible and you're going to finish it. And you're going to finish it in Revelation. Right. The blank pages after Revelation in your Bible are not meant to be filled in by you. Nor are they meant to be filled in by some other teacher or prophet. They are done. They're completed. And if you add to it, God's going to add curses to you. And if you take away from it, God's going to take your name out of the book of life. Like That's how he ends his Bible. So the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, apostles. But then what is the Holy Spirit's role then within our life as believers? Well, he's inspiring them to write truth. He's illuminating the truth he's written to us. Meaning it requires the Holy Spirit. These things are spiritual and they must be spiritually discerned, First Corinthians tell us. Like the natural man reads this book and it's like nothing. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't mean anything. It might be a good history book, but it's not a, a soul-changing, stirring book. It's words. It's spiritual words that require the Spirit. And so when we have the Spirit and we have the Word, the Holy Spirit will take the book he's written, by the way. He wrote a big, long book filled with amazing things that show us God. And so I promise you, like when he intersects your life, he's going to take you somewhere. He's going to take you to the book he wrote. Right. Because we want him to take us somewhere new. We want to take him somewhere. No, no. He wrote this whole entire book inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit operates in your life, he's going to teach you this book. And when he teaches you this book, you know, what he's going to do He's going to remind you of the things in it. Right. And so his job is to, to teach you the truth of the book and his job is to remind you of the truths of the book. So have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you want to help them spiritually and a verse of scripture comes into your heart and mind? The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the word that has been planted in you. The Bible, the book, right? When you're witnessing to somebody, there's times where it's like, I have no clue what the answer to this is. And God will bring a verse of scripture, not out of context, not random, but but in line with who he is, in line with what he said, that has been within me, planted in me, coming out of me. He will lead you into truth. He will teach you truth. He will make the truth understandable to you. And he'll use that truth that has been in your soul as the weapon of warfare, as the sword of the spirit to wield in your life as you fight sin and wield in your life as you help other people and wield in your life as you witness to other people. He wrote a book. And it's his job to remind you of the book. And it's his job to drive you back to the book. And you know what he's going to drive you to in this book? He's going to tell us in a couple of chapters. He's going to drive you to the glory of Jesus coming out of this book. That's his job. And the last thing I'll point out is peace. My peace I live with you, not as the world leaves it. There's a world kind of peace. When your circumstances are good and your job's going great and you have plenty of money and your health is fine. There's a kind of peace the world can give. There's a kind of peace the world can give when one nation has a lot more weapons and soldiers than another nation. There's a kind of peace that that can force on the world. 
But it's the kind of peace based on circumstances that can change all the time. Because you don't know what news is coming next. And then if you, you know, open up a newspaper or if you read the news at all, like, not a very good thing to stake your life's tranquility on. When the headlines roll in day after day, meant to provoke you and to excite you and to get you all upset. That's a world kind of peace. But Jesus says there's another kind of peace. His kind. Do you know what his kind of peace does? It sits and has dinner when the cross is hours away. And it can absorb a coming cross and stay stable. It can absorb the hatred and the slander and the betrayal of most of the people he ever met in his life. And stay stable and stay focused and stay walking in the purposes of God. It can absorb the horror of the cross. That's the kind of peace that Jesus can give you. Not based on your circumstances, but based on himself. Based on him drawing near to you. Based on you knowing him. And it's the kind of peace that doesn't mean you won't anguish. And it doesn't mean it won't be hard. And it doesn't mean you won't hurt. But it means your soul can stay stable and steadfast in the middle of circumstances that are going crazy around you. And that's what Jesus can offer you that the world never will be able to. My peace I leave with you. Not the way the world leaves it. Now look, Satan's coming, he says. Judas is just an actor in Satan's play at this point. Satan's coming with an army to arrest Jesus. And so he says, let's go. And the rest of the dialogue of, the, of John is going to be on the road through the streets of Jerusalem or on the road past the vineyards on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And he will continue his discourse with a mob coming. That's peace. When I can keep talking about how to encourage you and prepare you for what's next when the mob's coming for me, that's the kind of peace that can hold up when you face stuff. And that's the kind of peace Jesus had. A few practical things quickly as we close. Cultivate a love for Jesus. You will never fix your obedience problem with obedience. You will never fix your obedience problem with a, with a better salute and trying harder. If you want to fix your obedience, then fix your eyes on Jesus. Right? And so read and pray, but don't just read your Bible and pray more like read to know Jesus, to see Jesus, to love Jesus. Pray to a person in relationship. Right? And then surround yourself with people that are going to remind you, no, here's Jesus. You're not seeing him in the moment. Let me show him to you. Look, here's, here's the hope of Jesus. You've, you, you missed it. You can't see it in the middle of your circumstances. Let me hold him out to you. They can remind you. And then surround yourself people that you can remind them as well. Cultivate a love for Jesus and help the people around you do the same. And let the people around you do that for you. Second, actively love others. You know what the spectacular work of God is? It wouldn't be you doing somersaults down the aisle because the music is good today. It would be you opening up your home and saying, there's a place at my table and I would like uh, to share my life with you through this meal and through this conversation. And I would like to show you the love of Jesus and I would like to encourage you running after Jesus around the table. Like that's a lot more of the love of Jesus than than the spectacular that we like to go to. So actively love Jesus by opening up your table, actively love Jesus by weaving your life together with others, because that's how we show the love of Jesus into the experience of each other. And yeah, it's not flashy. 
Like there's, there's never going to be a, a, a billboard posted or a, a big advertising sign posted about Chris Fowler on the side of the road because we let people come and sit at our table and share life with us. But that's not really what we need anyways, is it? Because the people whose lives will be shaped around your table and my table will ripple into eternity. And that's pretty spectacular. It's just the quiet kind. And then lastly, just do it. Right? Jesus said, blessed are those not only who know, blessed are those who do these things. James says it this way. um, Don't be hearers of the word only. Be doers of the word. You will find more life in following Jesus, more life in faithfulness to Jesus, more life in obedience to Jesus, more life in the pursuit of holiness in Jesus than you'll ever find doing anything else. And so just do it. Just get up. Quit sitting down. Just walk. Quit standing. Just run. Quit walking. And spend your life going as fast and as hard as you can after Jesus. And there'll be plenty of time to rest in eternity. There'll be plenty of time for you to 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 um, have your time, except it won't be your time. It'll be like enthralled with Jesus forever time. There'll be plenty of time for you to get some me time. Not really, but in eternity until now, sweat and bleed and limp into eternity with nothing left in the tank. That's what I would challenge you to do. That's what I challenge me to do. Let's pray. Father. If you would just stoke the fires of our love for Jesus, it would be enough. It'd be more than enough. And so, Father, I pray, help me. Help me when the fires of my love for Jesus have grown so dim. Help me because nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus. But, God, I would just beg you for for my love for Jesus to be increased. And I would pray that for my brothers and sisters throughout this room. Lord, as the embers of our love for Jesus have grown so dim and so cold. They can't go out by your grace, but God, would you stoke the fires of our love for Jesus? Would you take those who are weary and reinfuse a strength in the love for Jesus? Would you take those who are in rebellion and God rebuke them so that they might re-see and, and, and re-experience the love of Jesus? Would you take those anywhere in between and grant us to love Jesus so that we might run out into this world and obedience and run out into this world into a, a blazing, winsome holiness. God, we want you to do that. Would you do that? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, it's simple. If the world owns you now, you can't know him, can't see him, but he's coming for you. He's pursuing you. You're not sitting here by accident. And so as he pursues you, would you open up your heart and your ears to hear? Would you hear his correction? Yes. Would you hear his conviction of sin? Yes. But more than that, would you hear his death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection to offer you a brand new life? If that's what the Holy Spirit is up to in your life, come and let's pray. Pray together or fill out the little white sheet in your bulletin and let us know. And we'll do our best to wrestle through questions with you. Maybe for you. In a message like this, you realize, guys, I look at my obedience, God. I just have to I just have to confess my love for you has grown cold. My love for you has grown distance and my life is showing that. And you just want to come and you just want to return to the Lord and acknowledge that. Man, it's like the prodigal son's dad just waiting, ready to run after you. 
when you see it and you turn to him. That's what he's like. That's what he's up to. Or maybe for you, that peace word is something you need because it's your circumstances that are rocking you and your circumstances that are that you're afraid are going to overwhelm you and drown you. And you just give them Jesus. You promised a peace that's better than what the world can give. And I need it. Ask for it. Ask for it here. Ask for it where you are. We're going to stand and we're going to sing and invite you to respond as the Lord is leading you in this time.